Amen. Well, good morning. Thank you for being with us today. If you're here physically present, if you're with us online, uh, pumped you are here. My name is Kyle. I serve as one of the pastors here and excited to continue in to the Ten Commandments this morning. I wanted to, though, uh, start the morning with just a little mental exercise. I wanted to give you the chance to love you some you. So I'm going to ask some questions, and I just want you to mentally create whatever I'm asking you to create. So just, you know, have some fun with this and just love yourself a little bit. First, create for me the best meal. What would you eat? What cheesy, sugary, buttery sweetness are you throwing down your gullet? And don't worry about calories. Don't worry about gluten. Don't worry if dairy makes your tum-tum hurt. Like, what would you eat? Now create for me the best weekend to eat it on. What are you doing? Who are you doing it with? Are you on an adventure right now, or are you more, you know, sitting by the pool with a daiquiri? If you're in the dating sphere, create for me the best partner to be with. What is he or she like? Does he love boutiques? Does he get equally frustrated by the rude people behind the counter? Guys, does she not really care how you smell? Is she equally frustrated by the refs who call a bad game? Like, what's the best partner like? Create for me now the best job. What are you getting paid an exuberant amount of money to do? And feel free to apply for Bigfoot Hunter. There's room for both of us. All right, one more question. This time I don't want you to answer it in totality. What if I asked you to create in your head the best God. What would the best God be like? And now I don't really want you to spend that much time thinking about it, but my guess is we could answer that as quick as any other question. Right, because we're kind of trained to think like that. We love what we love, we want what we want, we like what we like, and so when it comes to God, well, I know what I want to eat, I also know who I want to worship. And that's not even necessarily like with malicious intent, right? Because when you think about God, it's spiritual and it's ethereal, and so we just kind of fill in the blanks. With a divine mystery, well, let's just think about the God I'd want him to be. I wonder how many of us here this morning are coming in worshiping the best God that we've created. And the reason we need to think about this, talk about this this morning, is because when we do that, unintentionally or not, we're actually living in complete opposition to the second commandment. Right, so last week we started the Ten Commandments series, and the first week we talked about having no other gods before you. Right, that is, the first commandment is about who we worship. Well, today we transition to the second commandment, and if the first commandment is about worshiping wrong gods, the second commandment is about worshiping the right God in the wrong way. Like we're here, We're going after God. I'm at church. I'm going after Jesus. But what happens when we worship the right God in the wrong way? If you have your Bibles, open up to Exodus 20, verse 4. And as you flip there, I just want to catch us all up to speed. So uh, Israel has been delivered from Egypt, right? They go through the wilderness. They get to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God is giving Moses the law, the Ten Commandments, the Torah, Right? And the, the Hebrew idea of Torah is it's the way of life. So first God says, have no other gods. 
second commandment, verse 4. I'm just going to read a verse and a half. It says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. The key word here to the second commandment is the word image. Right? You see it in the first line, don't create a carved image. An image semantically kind of functions two ways, right? He says, don't create a physical object or don't create a mental shape. Right? Don't create a God that God did not give himself. So in other words, what he's saying is, don't add to me. If I didn't define myself by it, then you better not define myself by it. Right? Don't create the best God you can imagine. If I could sum up the second commandment, I would say it this way. Stop worshiping your best God. Stop defining God by who you want him to be, because God already is. That is, Anytime that we make God who he is not, or what he is not, we are then breaking the second commandment. So God says to Moses, stop worshiping the best God. Don't create that. Don't make that image. As I've been studying uh, the second commandment this week, uh, I've been incredibly confronted by it. Like all the commandments are obviously, you know, good, this one seems incredibly confrontational, not only to Israel, but also to us. And I know that might sound somewhat strange because you kind of hear the word carved image and you think, well, we're not worshiping idols here. Right? We're not making totem poles to God. We don't have little statues to God. And so when Moses or God says, don't make a carved image, that feels like antiquated, irrelevant, right? pre-modernity. And in some sense, that's true. right? Like idolatry as in, worshiping created over creator, like not a huge issue for us. For the ancients, it's everything, right? Every ancient religion is kind of molded by and their faith has idols because people have this innate need to worship what they can see and they can touch. And it's actually no different for Israel either, right? Because Israel spent 400 years in Egypt. Egypt, idols all over the place, right? They're worshiping all these different gods. And so after 400 years, they come out of Egypt, but their propensity is, well, who are we going to worship? It's going to be the right God. We're going to worship Yahweh, the guy who just brought us out. But what can we see? What can we touch? And so God gets him at the mountain. He says, don't you dare be like the other nations. Don't you dare be like the other religions. I will not be confined to wood and stone and gold and silver. I will not be recreated into some image that you want me to be. Stop worshiping the best God. That's Israel. For us, praise the Lord, it's 2020, and I'm not certain of any churches who are hosting craft nights where they can make idols and way to engage the community. But this is where it confronts us. We break this commandment every time we define God how we want him to be, rather than how he is. We shape God by our preferences instead of how God has already shaped himself. When we fill in the blanks, I'm not certain what God's like, so I'm just going to think he's like this. Anytime we create the best God, 
that's opposition to the second commandment. And so maybe to add a little color to this, this is how this sounds, this is how it happens. Uh, when I was in college, I was a Bible theology major. And one of the classes I had to take was called Biblical Morals and Biblical Ethics. And so we'd come to class, and every class they would just take kind of like a hot-button topic, whether it be like cultural or political or moral, and we'd try to think through that with a biblical lens. Uh, these are 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. As you can imagine, this got pretty feisty, right? It's pretty ripe for debate. And without fail, you would hear this sentence, or kind of like some variation of it. Some kid would be red in the face, genuinely lit up, and they would say, I don't think God would ever. I prefer to think about God like this. The way I see God is God does this. I just don't feel like God would do that. How many of you heard that in a conversation? Someone telling you how they think God feels, acts, and does. How many have said that? I think we all have. It's easy for us. It's natural for us. It's how we all think. So let's not be what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobs here. Right? We're no different than the ancients. We're not making a carved image of God, but we absolutely are making images of God. Voltaire, who was no fan of Christians, a French philosopher, he kind of looked at this intellectual idolatry, and this is what he said, making fun of us. He said, if God created us in his image, we've returned the favor. Right? Because that's what this idolatry is. When God says, don't you dare make an image of me, it's because he knows the images that we're making are so far divorced from the Bible. See, at the core, the best God that we are worshiping, it's a God we can understand in totality. One who never pushes back. One who never challenges. One who can be manipulated. One who looks like us, talks like us, thinks like we think, acts like we act. The best God that we create, nothing more than a homage to ourself. And so not to keep name dropping here, but it's why Karl Barth said, if our God never contradicts us or makes us mad, we are likely not worshiping him, but a reflection of ourselves. We can come here with the best intentions to worship the right God, but if we worship the right God in the wrong way and we create that image, I just think God would do this. I just think God acts like this. I just feel like God would do this. We're missing it completely. And so God protects us from that. And so let me just ask the question. This morning, have you created a best God? Were you just singing to that God? Were you worshiping the right God in the wrong way with some mental conjecture of who you just assume God is because he's an awful lot like you? And that's kind of an intense question. You might be thinking, well, goodness, how would I know? Here's how I would say you would know. Look where you're trying to explain away God. Look where you're trying to transform God. Or look where you're straight up ignoring him so he basically looks like you. 
So best guess, this is what I'm assuming some of the gods that are being worshipped in here this morning. Remember, it always starts with us. So you came in thinking this. I really want success. I really want healing. I really want blessing. I really want financial security. And so clearly, God wants that for me. God wants to give me the best life now. I'll go worship that God. Despite the fact that it is contrary to every story in the Bible. We come on thinking this. You know, I don't really want to sacrifice anything. I want comfort. I want ease. I don't want to die to what I want. And so God, he doesn't really call me to like this all-in way of following him. He's okay with me having one foot in, one foot out. Why wouldn't God be okay with that? Despite the fact the Bible talks about if you want to follow God, die to self every day. Sometimes the God we worship, that we create, it, it comes from good, like altruistic purposes. Like I'm good and I'm loving and I'm really tolerant and I want to be super ecumenical and welcoming to everybody. And so God, he wouldn't send anyone to hell. Why would God do that? That's super unloving. Despite the fact that from page, like, I don't know, two to the end of the Bible, there's a lot of judgment. Here's a fun God I've seen pop up in the last few months. I love politics. I love getting into politics. Didn't you know God's conservative? Didn't you know God's liberal? As if the God of the Bible fits into our political structure. I want sexual freedom. I want to be happy. I don't care about sin. I don't want to be told no. I don't want to risk. I don't want the unknown. I don't want to go without. So clearly, God's okay with me doing whatever feels good, whatever I want, because God, he basically just wants me when I want him. What's the best God you've created? You fill in the blanks with what you want. Here's what my God looks like. I don't want to act like judging, you know, up here. Three top characteristics of my God. My God will answer every prayer I pray because I said yes to being a pastor. I've earned it. My God, he's not going to let anything bad happen to my wife or my daughter. Right? Why would he? Why wouldn't he want to bless Nora and Lindsay and just keep them free from hardship and pain and any type of suffering? And the, my best God also, he's never going to let fail any church I ever serve at or plant. Because why wouldn't God bless that work? See, that God is pretty easy to worship. You want to know why? He looks an awful lot like me. Those are all the things I want. So God says to Moses, stop worshiping the best God you can create. Because here's the ironic part about this, and here's the danger, and here's the confrontation. We spend so much time creating this best God who's going to give us all the things that we want, but because that God's an idol, because he's a fraud, that God can't deliver, and so we fight, and we struggle, and we end up losing faith in a God that doesn't even exist. So God says, don't you dare make that physical image of me. Don't you dare make that mental creation of me. 
Your efforts might be right. Your motives might be good. If you do it in the wrong way, it doesn't end well. Because the God we create, it can't speak and it can't save. And that's kind of the lunacy that the Old Testament writers talk about when they comment on idols. It's the juxtaposition they make between the true God and the idol God. One speaks, one doesn't. One saves, one doesn't. Psalm 115. Idols are silver and gold. They have mouths that can't speak. They have eyes that can't see. They have a nose that can't smell. Hands that can't touch. Feet that can't walk. They are dead. They are powerless. So don't go after the idol. Isaiah 42. Your idols are a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their, mental imi- or their metal images are empty wind. And so the Old Testament writers are looking at the Israelites and they're saying, don't create that God. Don't do it. There, there's no power in that. There's no salvation in that. You don't hear God's voice in that. And the prophets would say the same thing to us. Don't go after that. Don't worship that. Because you want it to deliver on something it can't deliver. You want it to save you from something it can't save. You want to know what the, the consequence of worshiping our best gods are? Jeremiah 2. You made something worthless. You yourself became worthless. I just feel the gravity of that for one second. Christ be magnified. What Christ are you singing to? If it's the best one you've created, divorced from the Bible, made in your own image, worthlessness is where it leads. It can't save you. And so when you think about the idolatry that we make of God, um, I'm going to get slightly intense here for a second. Just get ready. You have to make war against it. That's the biblical language, right? Paul, you're not fighting against flesh and blood. You got to go to war. You see that idol, you destroy the altar. You see when the good kings come into Israel, what is the first thing they do? They go tear down the altars to the false gods, right? They slaughter all of it because there's no compromise with idols. I tell this story to uh, most of the guys I meet with. And so, guys, you've probably heard this, but it's worth repeating here because it's the best illustration I have of a guy making a war against an idol. This was a friend of mine who uh, was severely, severely addicted to pornography. And it was birthed out of this idol he was worshiping of, you know, God just wants me to, you know, have my little habit and it's not really hurting anybody and it medicates stress and it, it helps me get through the day. And so as long as it's just kind of my little dark thing, God really doesn't care. There's, you know, bigger fish to fry. And so I start meeting with every week. How's it going, man? How you doing? You getting after it a little bit? And for months, it was the same thing. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I'm trying really hard, and, you know, I made it, you know, a day or two, but then, you know, one picture led to another picture, and one website led to another website, and then I kind of screwed up, but, you know, I'm really struggling, and it's, you know, I might get it one day, but I'm going after it. So I hear that for months and months and months. This was 
you know, no pastoral bones in my body yet. And so I kind of got angry. And I said, dude, like, you got to wake up. Like, you got to go to war against this thing. And stop giving me this crap that you're struggling. You're not even fighting yet. You're curled up in the corner like a coward. And if you want to beat this, go to war. Wake up. This kid's a pure stud. That night, uh, takes his laptop. He mails it home to his parents. He shows up to class the next day and, oh. I've told this story a hundred times. I'm not sure why it's getting to me. He shows up to class the next day and in a Ziploc bag was a cell phone that he'd smashed with a hammer. And he threw it down in front of me and he said, let's go to war. And for the next year, he just battled. And he fought and he clawed. He spent every night in the library computers for everybody to see. He bought some crappy flip phone that he could just text on. And he beat it. Because he said, I'm not going to worthlessness. I'm not going down that path. And it was just beautiful front row seat to watching a guy who said, I'm not worshiping that best God who wants me to do whatever I want to do. And then just in God's grace to me, I was able to marry him off a couple of years ago to his wife. And he'd been sober for years and they just marched into a godly marriage of worshiping the right God the right way. This morning, some of us need to go to war and we need to go to battle because the God we're worshiping is nothing more than a figment of our imagination. He's a fraud. He can't deliver. And I know our motives are right. I know it's unintentional. We came in here and we said, well, I just want my God to be like this. Worthlessness. Stop worshiping the best God, Yahweh tells Moses. So we've been talking about worshiping the best God the wrong way when we create the God that we want him to be. How do we worship the right God the right way? Right? How do we keep the second commandment? I would answer that with one word. Hear. Right? Idols don't speak, but God does. And God fulfills the second commandment when he sends his son, Jesus Christ. Right? He doesn't need us to fill in the blanks of what's God like. He doesn't need us to attach some attributes that he didn't attach himself. Right? He says, no, I'm going to speak through my son, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is what God looks like. Jesus Christ speaks the words of God. Hebrews 1. In the last days, God has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint the exact representation, the exact image, the exact expression of God's nature. Do you want to know what God looks like? Hear the words of Jesus Christ. Look to the Christ of the Bible. Jesus said in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We don't need to fill in the blanks. We don't need to conjecture. 
look and hear Christ. As one theologian said, if God the Father looked in the mirror, the reflection would be Jesus Christ. That is God fulfilling the second commandment. So if idols lead to death and worthlessness, then Jesus leads to life and value. So hear the words of Jesus Christ. That's how, you, that's how we worship the right God the right way. I got two practical things uh, to give you before we're done of how we can hear the words of Jesus Christ. All right? One's negative, one's positive. So negative first. The first thing we need to do is drown out the noise. Right? If we want to hear Jesus speak, we need to drown out the noise. And here's why this is tricky. The noise isn't in your head. The noise is in your heart. That idolatry, that making God in the image we want him to be, that's coming out of a place of our hearts of what's captivating our heart the most. Right? What's stirring our heart's affections? Right? What has our, the attention of our hearts? Idolatry is not a deed done. It's a desire had. So the first thing we want to do is drown out the noise. Identify What's all the chaos going on? Is it power? Is it influence? Is it wanting sexual gratification? Is it wanting relationship? Is it, is it wanting to be right all the time? Is it physical appearance? Is it needing people to think highly of you? Like, what's that idol? Identify that. And then once you identify it, stop the inflow. You want to drown out the noise? fast. That sounds extreme. It is. Because we're going to war. Some of us need to get off our phones. Fast. Some of us need to stop watching so much TV. Fast from it. If your idol is physical appearance, fast from the gym. Like whatever that thing is that's the inflow, fast from it. You got to quiet the noise. You have to drown it out. And then after that, Rest. Rest is hard. Rest is beautiful, though. Go on a walk by yourself. Think and pray. Leave the phone at home. Go to coffee with a friend. Talk about edifying things. If you have a family, eat dinner at the table and talk to each other. Edifying things drown out the noise that's keeping us from hearing Jesus speak. Right, that's the first. Here's the second. We have to crank up the gospel in our lives. Right? The true God has spoken to us in Jesus Christ, which means his words are life. And so we got to be captivated by grace. We have to swim in the gospel. We are so quick to forget the gospel, so we need to be staunch in reminding ourselves of the gospel. Right? Idols are going to captivate your attention. They're going to say, come follow me, because that feels good, acts good, looks good. And when that comes, no, you crank up the gospel. And when things feel like it's weighing down on your soul, you start preaching the words of Christ. Okay, Matthew 11, Jesus said, no, you are tired, you are weary, come. Yeah, because my, I'm going to carry your burdens. I'm gentle, I'm lowly in heart, so just come and rest. Your soul feels dried out and dull and like you're backsliding and I haven't had a good spiritual moment in months. You crank up the gospel. 
All right, Jesus said that all who are thirsty come to him because he will give you thirst or he will give you drink because out of his heart flows living water. When you're feeling lost and you're feeling confused and you're questioning yourself, like, is this really true? You crank up Jesus' words. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Believe in me and live. When you're afraid, when you're scared, when you're anxious, you crank up Revelation 1. Jesus said, fear not. I am the first and the last, the firstborn among the dead. And I have the keys to death and Hades. When you doubt God's goodness, when you feel alone, when you feel like you're not worth the time, you crank up John 10. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and I will lay down my life for my sheep. When it feels like there's no hope and when it feels like there's nothing left in your tank and you're ready to give up because it's pressing down, now you crank up Jesus. He says, all authority is mine. Nothing's gonna get in the way of me. We live on these statements. We hear Jesus speak through them because we hear life in them. Because Jesus Christ shows us who God is. Stop filling in the blanks. Stop creating the best God. If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. Because he's compassionate and tender. He's gracious and he's merciful. He's loving and he's patient. He's resolved and he's wise. He's faithful and he's steadfast. He is just and he is righteous. He is generous and he is kind. He is holy. He is humble. He serves and he saves. He reconciles and he redeems. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Don't create an image of God when that is the image of God. And the best God we can create doesn't compare to the glory of Jesus Christ. It holds no weight. So how do we worship the right God the right way? Hear the words of Jesus. Listen to Jesus speak. It's no coincidence that we don't have a physical description of God in the Old Testament and we don't have a physical description of Christ in the New Testament. Why is that? Because words give life. 
It's the spoken word that gives life. Romans 10. How will they know if someone doesn't go and tell them the gospel? So you hear Jesus speak. And you stop creating in your head what you want him to be. The gods we create don't speak and don't save. Jesus Christ speaks and Jesus Christ saves. And salvation is here today. There's kind of two things that need to happen in this moment as we kind of transition into reflection. For some of us, we need to identify the best God we've created. And we need to throw that at the foot of the cross. We need to tear down those altars. And we need to confess where we need to confess of, God, this is who I wanted you to be. Because the God who I wanted just gave me a license to do whatever I wanted to do. We need to tear that down and embrace the gospel. Hear Jesus, look to Jesus, lean on to Jesus. Because he's speaking this morning and he's saving. If you are here today, if you're watching online and you've never confessed faith in Christ, whatever you're going after, it's worthless. And it leads to worthlessness. But the words of Christ are for you this morning too. If you would confess in your heart, if your desire would be to know, to love, to follow, to serve, to worship Jesus, if you'd have a want to want those things, you know that you know you can have life today. That is the fulfillment of the second commandment. That is for you. This is a transition to reflection. Engage with these questions. What best gods have you created that need to be destroyed? Confess faith in Christ if you've never made that. Secondly, what can you do today and this week to better hear Jesus speak? So I'm going to pray for us and we're going to transition into a time of reflection. God, you're good and the gospel's good. We are grateful for you, Christ, who came as the visible expression of you, Father. We are grateful that you speak and you save. And Lord, we're here, we want to worship you the right way. We want to love you the right way. We want to desire you the right way. So give us a ton of grace where we failed. Lord, I pray right now as we go in, if there needs to be moments of confession, there'll be moments of confession. In times of repentance, there'll be times of repentance. But I pray there'd also be a sweetness of the gospel, a sweetness of salvation. Because when Jesus died, he also died for the best gods that we are going to create one day. Because on the cross, he shows us the greatest God, namely himself. We love you, Jesus. You're worth it now. You're worth it forever. We pray your name. Amen.